Mark Vincent's our speaker for today. He's the assistant pastor at Harbor Fellowship Baptist Church down St. Catharines, but probably better known to us as Mark was an intern here back oh, 20 years ago. 20 years yeah. ago. It's hard to believe, yeah. but I'm glad to see how gray he's got. It makes me, <laughs> makes me feel much younger. <laughs> But after that, Mark was also involved in our church plant. You've heard us talk about Lightway Church. Mark and my son Ian were our church planters for that, and they uh, left with a group of people out to the east end of Hamilton. And then Mark has moved on to Harbor Fellowship. I've appreciated getting to know Mark through the years. Primarily, he was a friend of my son's, so I kind of got to share in the blessings of that. We've had some fun times up north at a cottage during pastor's conference. I've just appreciated his, uh, his humor his uh, laughter, but also just his deep sense of compassion and care for people. And so we pray for God to bless you to speak to us Thanks. here this morning. Thanks, Mark. Paul. Right on. Yeah, I, I drove up a little earlier this morning because uh, it's been a long time since I've been in this neighborhood. And Kelly, I drove by your house and looked to see if you were uh, by the window or something. Uh, but it was so cool to drive by through here. And as Paul said, I was here 20 years ago. And when I was kind of 20, 22, and I was here for a few years, maybe three, four years and uh, I just look back on those years so fondly. They were in, uh, transformative for me. They were encouraging. They were challenging. And, and James North, uh, you were a part of sending me out into full-time ministry. And so I appreciate this church's work in my life and affirmation and, and growth in my life. And, and even this morning as Derek was talking about all the things happening this summer, um, I was driving around this morning and I saw the place where, yeah, I was there helping run North End Soccer every week. I remember starting coffees on. I remember the junior high drop-in at Benetto Public School. I remember the breakfast program over there and just thoroughly loved my time here. And I love your heart as a church, your heart for people who are lost, who are far from Christ, to love them, to, to come alongside, walk with them, and point them to Jesus. And so thank you for doing that, and thank you for your part in my life in that. Uh, as we shift to God's word, I wonder if you can relate with me on something. This is kind of a little bit of a confession, something that I've realized over the years multiple times. You might notice that I might smile different times. It's when I see someone that I know. And so it's just my head's kind of going a little weird right now. But uh, I want to kind of share something with you. But I think you might relate with me on. And I, I've recognized this multiple times. It's this. It's that prayer is a struggle. That prayer is a struggle. Oftentimes, I have a dissatisfaction with my prayer life. And I think you would be with me on, on that at some level. I think if we were to go around the room, and we won't do this, but if we were to go around the room and ask every person, how would you rate your prayer life, I would, I would be surprised if we had a ton of raving reviews. I think we all realize that prayer is difficult, right? Uh, sometimes we're consistent. Sometimes we're inconsistent. And, and, and that kind of pulls us because we want that prayer life. We want to have meaningful times with God in prayer. And we know that as a follower of Jesus, prayer is so important. And yet we sometimes don't want to talk about it, that we struggle with prayer because we think everyone else has it figured out. Well, let me say this. You are not alone. Prayer is a struggle. And there might be for a number of reasons why we might find prayer as a struggle or inconsistent uh, in our lives. And so maybe you can relate to a number of these. Maybe we don't prioritize time for prayer. Uh, sometimes life just crowds in with school or family or work, and sometimes we just don't block out the time to dedicate time to spend in prayer. 
Uh, maybe you, you have a hard time just keeping focused. I know I've been there. I'm praying about something, right? And then I don't know how much time has passed, and all of a sudden I'm thinking of something way off in left field. I'm like, how did I get from here to here? Uh, maybe in your prayer life you realize yourself praying the same thing over and again, the same word, the same phrase, and it becomes almost like a pattern, and it kind of it empties itself of any meaning or, or purpose to those words. Uh, maybe we don't see the purpose of prayer. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, well, why should I pray? I mean, if God is sovereign and God knows all, then why should I even pray? Or maybe we have a misconception of what prayer is. And we approach God and think prayer is something, something, coming before him as a, kind of like our genie and saying, hey, God, I need this, I need this, I need this, and hoping that he will fulfill those things. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we probably have engaged with a number of those, if not all of those, as we've sought to grow our prayer and take time with God in prayer. And so we're not alone. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. And uh, I know we're not alone because when we look into this passage, this is Jesus's very own disciples coming to Jesus and asking him to teach them to pray, to teach them to pray. And I love that because the disciples were spending time with Jesus, right? And they, over the years, over the weeks, over the years, they saw Jesus do this behavior over and over again. They kept finding Jesus going off in parts or going off alone to take time in prayer. And that, no, no doubt, it tweaked their attention. They were like, what's going on here? Jesus, what are you doing? If you were to look uh, through the Gospel of Luke, you would see numerous places. Let me just point out two of them. In Luke 5, uh, 16. It says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely paces and prayed. In Luke 6, 12, it says this, that Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And so as the disciples kind of shared life with Jesus and walked with Jesus, they realized that Jesus prioritized prayer. Here, here was their leader, their teacher, and as they looked in on Jesus and his practices, they were no doubt caught their attention. They're like, we want to we wanna know this. We want to learn this. Because isn't that what a disciple is? A follower of Jesus is someone who wants to emulate his life, to learn from him, to live as he did, to do what he did. And so these disciples wanted to emulate Jesus. And so they approached Jesus and, and asked this question, Lord, or this request, Lord, teach us to pray. Hopefully you're there in uh, Luke's gospel in chapter 11, and uh, we're only going to look at four verses here, uh, but to start off right at the top, let me start at verse 1, and here we see Jesus doing it again. Uh, chapter 11, verse 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. So there he is, he's off, I'm not sure what that place is, but he's off, and he's taking time with him and the Father to be praying and spending time in prayer. And what does it say? When he finished, one of the disciples, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. I love that. I'm not sure. It doesn't tell us which disciple it was, but one of them <laughs> saw Jesus doing this act and, and kind of had the courage enough to, to jump up and say, hey, Jesus, would you teach us? Lord, Lord teach us how to pray. And, and my heart and my prayer for us, for you this morning, is that we would have that same request. That as we look at our prayer, as we maybe are dissatisfied with it, we want more, we want more meaningful prayer. My, my heart and my hope and my prayer for you is that you would be someone who would say the exact same thing as the disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. 
And so what Jesus does is then he takes time to teach them. And, and, and so we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're basically, we're just going to walk line by line. And I'm going to do my best to explain it. And so let me first read what Jesus taught them, and we'll go from there. Jesus responded to them. He said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. I don't know about you, whenever I read that, I, I remember the, the, the version of the Lord's Prayer that I memorized back in public school, when you used to say it every morning in school. I, I have it memorized in my head as the KJV, and I have memorized the longer version, and maybe you have that longer version in your head. Uh, this is a shorter version. That longer version is, is in Matthew's gospel, but here is Jesus' teaching in Luke's gospel, and it's a shorter one, and Jesus taught on prayer. And what we see here, let me say this, it's really important to establish that this is not a prayer, this is what to pray. Let me say it again, it's not a prayer, it's what to pray. And what I mean by that is that Jesus here gives us a template for prayer, a structure for prayer. You know, pray in line with these words. Uh, now, go, don't get me wrong, we can pray these words word for word. I've done that many times, and that's a meaningful. Sometimes I have a short period of time, and, and I'm going from one thing to another, and I'll just kind of pray this out uh, to, to Jesus, and I'll pray this. But what Jesus is doing here is he's communicating for us a structure for our prayer, a framework for our prayer. It's kind of like you're framing a house, and there's the frame, and the structure is there, and God gives us the frame, and then we hang our prayers on that in line with that frame. And so what Jesus is doing is teaching us what we should be praying about. So as I said, we're going to walk through phrase by phrase and line by line to seek to understand this. And what I've realized in my life over the last couple of years, I've really tried to implement this into my own prayer time. And, and again, I'm not always consistent, but, but when I have been making this consistent in my life, let me tell you, this has been just breathtaking. Like it's just been, it's breathed life into my prayer. Um, it's been so significant in my life. I don't know if you do that much if you pray in line with scripture. If you don't, I encourage you to be doing that. Because sometimes we don't know what to pray for, and the, the Word of God shows us what we can pray for, and so we can pray in line with Scripture. And my hope in prayer is that you would be able to implement some of this in your life, in your prayer. That you would hear these words, that you would see this structure, and, and, and my challenge would be that this week you would do this each day, to just to try to practice it and try this structure as you pray and have those times in prayer. So right off, Jesus starts with this title. He says, when you pray, start off with this, Father. I'm going to stop right there. Right at the beginning, we're instructed to come before God like a child approaching the perfect Father. And the image there is this tenderness. It's this intimacy. And you have to understand, in the first century uh, Jewish culture, this would have been uh, startling to them. In their minds, God was not someone who could simply approach they did not have the idea of intimacy or tenderness there with God. In fact, they, they had the, the stress of the holiness of God, which is good. The holiness of God. And you can't just simply enter into his presence. He is too holy. He is too powerful. He is too mighty. In, in fact, the, the high priest would only enter into the holy of holies, kind of that center location of God's presence in the, in the temple. The high priest would only enter in once a year. And so they knew of this separation 
between themselves and God that they couldn't just enter into his presence. But what I love about how this prayer starts is that Jesus informed the disciples and you and I that God is near, that God is approachable as a father, that we can literally come before him and have his attention. He, want, he has his attention on us. He wants us to come and approach him and run into his arms as a loving father. And I love how Jesus starts this out. Now, you might wonder why this change. Why, why would it have startled the first century Jews, and why does it change from what that was? And, and um, what, what Jesus knew was that he knew what was about to come in his life. He knew where he was headed. He was headed towards the cross. He knew that his death would remove the sin barrier between us and God. Uh, I love the book of Hebrews, and in Hebrews 10, it writes, the author writes this. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. You see, the curtain was this structure in the temple that separated humanity, people from God. And what's so incredible is what happened when Jesus died. Do you, know, do you remember what's recorded for us in scripture? When Jesus died, it says the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Not bottom to top as if some people ripped it from the bottom. No, from top to bottom in the sense that God has opened it, ripped it through his body and opened up a way for us to enter in to the very real presence of God. No longer that separation. And what scripture reminds us is that when we turn from our sin, when we repent of it, when we turn and trust in Jesus for forgiveness and new life, making him the king of our lives, that barrier disappears, that we can rush into the very presence of God, just like a child running into the arms of the Father. And I love how Jesus starts us off in that way, that picture of tender care, uh, that picture of a father's attention on a child. And so as we start our prayer times in line with this, I think what this looks like is that we acknowledge this truth. We start our time of prayer with thanksgiving and praise, that we can come before God knowing that he cares for us, that he knows us, he knows what's happening in our lives. He's there to, to spend time with us, to hear from us. What a privilege it is to be able to come before the living God into his presence as a father who loves us so much. That's how Jesus starts. He says, Father, but then right after he says this, hallowed be your name. In other words, holy is your name. You're revered, you're honored, there is none like you. And this is so important, because on one side, yes, we approach God as our loving, approachable Father, who He absolutely is. But at the same time, we're called to recognize His holiness, that we approach God, that we come before Him with reverence and with awe. And Jesus starts us off really important with this balance, and this is really important of having the idea of that, yes, we come before our Father, and yes, we come before one who is holy that we bow before him, that we humble himself, ourselves before him, that we are in awe of him. Uh, notice that it says, hallowed be your name. Well, in ancient times, one's name was not just a name. Like, my name's Mark. I'm sure there's some meaning to that. But that was not, in that time, a name conveyed who the person was, their character, their nature, their attributes. And, and so when we come before him, and when we pray, hallowed be your name, what we're doing is we're acknowledging who he is and we're praising him for the entirety of who he 
is. And so when we pray in line with this, it leads us to a time of acknowledging and praising him for his awesomeness, for his might, his holiness, his power, his sovereignty, to make much of him, to be in awe of him. This is so important. I love what J.I. Packer writes. He, he writes this, the vitality, if you're wondering if you have dull prayer life, listen to this, the vitality of prayer lies largely in the vision of God that prompts it. He says, drab thoughts of God make prayer dull. I love that. If we have a low view, if we have a drab view, a drab understanding in our minds of who God is, our prayer is just going to be dull. And what Jesus calls us to do here is to marvel at him, to praise him, to worship him, to, to exalt his name, to focus on his attributes. And this beginning is so important because it sets the foundation for the rest of the prayer. I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I come to prayer, or what my temptation is, is to come to prayer and just think about myself, like my focus is on myself. And what Jesus is saying, hey, when you come to pray, when you take time to pray, where should your eyes be? Be on the Father, be on the, the Holy One, exalt Him and praise Him and worship and recognize who it is that you come before. And so naturally, what comes after is this prayer, your kingdom come. I mean, if our eyes are focused on God, focused on who he is, his power and our might, naturally our, our instinct is not to pray about ourselves, it's to pray your kingdom. What, what do you want to do, God? May you make that happen. And so it's a prayer that says, hey, do whatever that advances your kingdom. It says, here I am, Lord. My desire is to see your kingdom advance, that your plan would be carried out. Here I am as your child, as your disciple, as your follower, and I want to serve you and see the gospel, your good news, advance and transform lives. Uh, your kingdom come. Uh, in one sense, God is a king over all of creation. We know that. Over the entire universe. But in another sense, God is, uh, this kingdom of God that Jesus is referring to, is his redemptive kingdom. The kingdom that includes those who God rules over by virtue of salvation. Those who have turned and trusted in Jesus and are following him. And so and, uh, uh, this part of the prayer time is a prayer to see that rule expand. And so I think there's two ways practically that we can pray this phrase, your kingdom come. The first is that we pray that more people would come to hear and understand and respond to the gospel of Jesus, that there would be a growing number of people entering into his kingdom. And even as we pray that, pray that God would save, what we're doing is we're not praying from the sidelines. We're praying that, God, would you use me? Would you use my, me in my relationships, in my workplace, in my community, in my family? Would you use me to see your kingdom come? Pray for opportunities to be bold, to enter into spiritual conversations, to share the good news. I, I want to ask you a question. Are there specific people that you pray for regularly who don't yet know Christ? Do you pray daily for one or two or three people that they would come to know Jesus and that you would have opportunities to have spiritual conversations with them? If not, I encourage you to do that, to identify a few people that you can pray for consistently and not just pray, but be very intentional to keep your eyes open that you can initiate and be bold to enter into conversations with them. I think that's the first way we can pray your kingdom come. I think the second way that we can pray your kingdom come is this. May your kingdom 
have more and more reign over my life? Would your kingdom have more and more reign over my life? In other words, Lord, continue to reveal areas of my life that stand contrary to your kingdom. My desire is that you would reign over all of me, that I would submit all the areas of my life, all my relationships, all my thoughts and actions and desires and words. Lord, would you have reign over all of that and help me be obedient to you? It's your kingdom come. Not my kingdom, not my desires, not my wants, but your kingdom. May your kingdom come. Uh, there's an illustration I came across, and if you can imagine this with me, you're in a boat. You're a little bit away from shore, and you have no oars, so there's no way you can get to shore. And so what you do is you find a rope and like a little hook or anchor or whatever contraption in the boat, and you're there, and you're whipping it around, and you throw it off onto shore, and it lands, and it catches onto a branch, let's say, or a root structure. Okay, let me ask you. You start pulling on it. Let me ask you. Does the, does the land, does the shore come towards you? Or do you start moving towards the shore? I think if we're honest with ourselves, the shore's not moving to us. We're moving towards it. And likewise, prayer is not pulling God's agenda, God's kingdom to fit our kingdom. Prayer is us aligning ourselves to his will, to his kingdom, to his priorities. And what's so important about this structure and prayer in this part is it causes us to fix our eyes on him, not on us not our own desires. Not that that's not important. Not that God does not care about those things. But Jesus calls us to begin by praising him, by running to him as our father and, 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 and resting in God's presence. He calls us to be in awe of him and worship him and praise him. And then he calls us to seek his kingdom, to, to align our priorities to him and to what he would have to do in and through our lives which then brings us to the next phrase, because if we're seeking to do what God wants to see happen, we need some provision. We need some help in line with that. And so Jesus says this, give us each day our daily bread. And we know that line, right? This is the prayer of provision. It teaches us that we can come before God with a spirit of humble dependence, asking him to provide that which what we need to sustain us day in and day out. And I love it that God wants us to come before him with our needs, to trust him that he will provide, and in turn, enjoy what he will provide for us. And I think this prayer is so important, because oftentimes, if you're anything like me, we, we think that we are self-dependent, that we are independent. We don't need others. We don't need anyone to help. We don't need other things. And what this does is it properly aligns us uh, underneath God, that we are dependent, that we need God to fill our needs, uh, whether we don't and we should not look elsewhere or to other things or to other people to give us what only God can give. And, and I think as we think of that, yes, it's the, the daily necessities and it's the, the providing for physical needs, but I think it's also the provision of spiritual need and the spiritual food. Uh, man does not live on bread alone, but by the very word of God. And, and what I've realized over the last years or couple of years, I've just been kind of contemplating in my mind just all the messages that I allow to speak into me, watching Netflix or YouTube. Uh, my kids make fun of me because I'm loving YouTube shorts. And they're, are you watching those again? Uh, but I realized that there's lots of stuff coming in. 
And uh, am I one who says, you know, the priority, uh, what is the stuff that I want to be feeding? What's the stuff that I am going to be listening to? And that's the word of God. That's his uh, provision. Uh, now, I think it should also be pointed out here that, that this prayer of provision is not a license to ask for great riches or pleasures or luxuries. Uh, I came across it this way. We're praying for daily bread, not for daily cake. It, it, we're just praying for the necessities here. We're not praying for all the luxuries that we maybe could want or, or desire. And what this is, is it's a, it's a selfless way of praying, of fixing our eyes on God. Remember, we prayed for his rule to expand. And so in line with that, if we're praying for then God, would you give us our daily bread? Naturally, our desire is when he gives that to us, our desire is that that would allow us to bring glory to him to bring glory to Jesus, to the church, that that provision would allow us to live out what God is calling us to, to live out. And so we humbly depend on him that he would sustain us to be able to live out the call that he has placed on our lives. I want you to think back over the last week or so. Um, think back of the, the things that maybe you were praying for or things that were on your mind and I wonder if you, what percentage maybe of, of, of your prayer would have been on, hey, God, I need this. God, I'm having a hard time with this. God, I need you to provide this. Life would be easier if you did this for me, God. Lord, do this, do that. And again, there's nothing wrong with those prayers. God wants to hear our hearts. But, but I wonder about the proportion of it. It's interesting that as you look at this, this prayer, there's basically seven phrases. And one phrase is, that talking about giving us this daily bread. And I think that's really important. And I think that's why the structure really helps if we were to pray through the structure. Because oftentimes we would focus on this one and love to stay on here. But what this prayer structure does is it helps us a lot time to all the others. And so one of the practices that I've done, and it's been helpful, is I'll actually, there have been times where I've actually set a little timer. <laughs> and so when I start praying, and I start praying in line with each phrase, I have like a timer, so I can set it for like a minute or two minutes. When the timer's done, then I'll go into the next one. And it's helpful because it's then, I usually would dwell on this one a whole lot longer, but I'm like, okay, let's keep moving on here. Let's keep moving on. God, what else do you want me to be bringing towards you and seeking to align my life to? So maybe you want to try that. Try to keep a, an allotment of, of equal time that you pray for these things. Again, you know, it's not rigid, but it's a good practice to try out to see how that works. Uh, Jesus goes on to say these two phrases that I, I'm going to lump together. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And this is a time of confession uh, where we take time to recognize the sin in our lives and seek his forgiveness. And first of all, isn't it so good that he is one that offers us forgiveness day in and day out? You and I fail, we have failed, we do fail, and we will fail. And isn't it good to know that we have one that we can come before to receive forgiveness, that Jesus, what he accomplished on the cross through his death and resurrection, that he paid the price for our sin, not just our past sin, not, our current, not just our current sin, also our future sin. But I don't know about you, oftentimes when there's sin in my life, uh, oftentimes what it does is it keeps me from going to God. It kind of is there and it's kind of, I'm ashamed of it, uh, I'm embarrassed by it, whatever the case may be, it actually disrupts my relationship with God. 
I, I can't help but think of the, uh, the prodigal son story. You remember that story that Jesus told? The, G, uh, the son takes the inheritance of his father and says, forget you, I'm going off. And he goes off to a land and blows all his money and he gets rock bottom. And then he kind of gets to the point where he's like, you know what? Uh, this is horrible. What am I doing? I need to go back to my dad. And, and his whole plan was, you know what? I, I'm not going to be your son anymore. I'm not going to be your kid. Just can I, can I work on your farm? Can I at least have a place where I can live and get some food? And what I love about the picture is the son's making his way back to the father. And what's the father there? He's standing there and he's watching. He sees his son come. And what's the father do? He doesn't turn away. He doesn't walk away. He starts running towards his son. He embraces his son with a huge hug, puts new clothes on him, puts a ring on his finger, and throws a party for his son. And I think that's the picture of our God, a God who is so ready and eager to forgive us, to, to, uh, to forgive us and reunite us in relationship. And so it's so important for us to be recognizing and confessing our sin so that we can receive that forgiveness. I find it interesting in this, in this, in this um, prayer, there's no like footnote there's no footnote after verse 4 at the beginning that says, you know what, you can pray this every like 7 or 10 times you pray. Like this is not a prayer that you pray all the time. No, no. What Jesus is calling us to do is regularly, daily, come before him in confession. And I think that's so important for us, for our souls, for our understanding that we aren't self-sufficient, that we do fail. And so when we come before God regularly, we come before him daily to confess our sin to confess area of our lives that we have fallen short, that we need his grace, we need his forgiveness. For that reason, to receive his forgiveness and grace. But I think what it also does is it humbles us. It reminds us that we're not perfect. And it reminds us then when we engage with other people and we see their sin or their sin against us, it reminds us when we confess a whole lot, it reminds us, oh, wait a second, I don't got it all together either. And so we respond with grace and, and love to those around us, which is why Jesus then goes on to this next phrase and says, forgive us, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. This is the difficult part, forgiving others. But this is the way that Jesus orders it. As we are forgiven, as we encounter the grace of God, what it does is it motivates, it informs, it insists on us forgiving others. Uh, there's a quote that uh, Kevin DeYoung, I read while I was preparing this. There's a quote that Kevin DeYoung says this. He says, forgiven people forgive. I love that. Forgiven people forgive. It's as simple as that. If you never forgive, you ought to wonder if you have ever truly experienced and really believed in forgiveness. If our lives are not marked by forgiveness, we got to wonder, are we being forgiven? Are, do we believe in forgiveness through Christ? And so it's a good reminder for us. And what I love about this, this prayer is there's a commitment there. Look at what it says. For we also forgive everyone. For we also forgive everyone. So the one side, there's a commitment there. It's not a, hey, God, forgive us, so, and then help me forgive others. No, there's a commitment. Hey, forgive me as I forgive others. Like, there's a commitment. There's a surety. There's a, a, a direction to say, I will do this. And then what I love is that he says, forgive everyone. This is not, hey, my friends or my family. This is not my peer group or whatever it may be. This is forgiving everyone. Now, with that being said, and you probably have a little pushback maybe, let me say this. Forgiveness is not the same as the removal of consequences of sin. Sin causes damage. 
There's another quote here. No doubt some people have hurt you deeply. God never says that it's no big deal what that's been happened to you. Forgiveness is not the same. It is not saying that sin doesn't matter. You're not saying that it's no big deal. What you are saying is that God is bigger. The cross is bigger. And so do not focus on what they owe you. Focus on what God has already given you. Uh, there's an elderly gentleman at our church at Harbor. I'm down in St. Catharines. And uh, I don't even remember what I went to apologize to him for, but I remember going and apologizing to him for something. And, and this was his response to me, and it totally threw me off guard. I said, hey, hey you know what, Chris? I, I want to apologize for this. And his response was this, you're pre-forgiven. <laughs> and then I was kind of like, my face kind of went weird, and I had no clue what he was talking about. And then he went on to tell me a story. It was many, many years ago, decades back, where he was having a really hard time forgiving people, forgiving someone in a certain situation. And he wrestled with God with that. And that was a hard thing for him to come through and to go through. But he said, you know what? I came to the point where I prayed this prayer and made this commitment after I realized that Christ had forgiven me of so much. This is, he says this, this is what I prayed. I forgive now anyone who has hurt me. I forgive now who any, who, for those who will hurt me or who have hurt me now. And I will forgive those who will hurt me in the future. He kind of made a decision point at that moment as he recognized his forgiveness through Christ. He says, you know what? I am going to forgive. And so when anyone uh, asks for forgiveness from him, anyone confesses sin to him, what's his response? You're pre-forgiven. <laughs> it's just his natural instinct to forgive. And I love that, that we would be people who would forgive. And we need God's help to do that. The last line that we read here is this, and lead us not into temptation. Now, to be clear and to be uh, honest here, God does not lead us into temptation. God does not tempt us. We know that from Scripture. And so, what is this phrase communicating? What is the prayer here? Well, I think it's this. Father, I will come up against some temptation today. I'll be drawn and tempted in many different ways. The world, my desires will pull at me. And it's the prayer that says, when, when those situations come up, would you help me through those? Would you help me around those? May I follow your leading? In other words, I need your help, God. I need your presence. I need your encouragement. I, I trust in you that you will lead me through that. And what this prayer is, it's a prayer for personal holiness. I mean, we just focused on it earlier on the prayer, right? That God is holy. And here is the desire that, that we would grow in holiness ourselves. That we would say no to temptation, to the world that entices, that we would deny the desires of our flesh, that we would stand strong against sin, that we would not go for pleasures or personal gain, that our desire would be for obedience and holiness. How does this practically play out? Well, I think it, it looks like this when we take time to pray. It looks like this. You think of your day coming up, and you think of, okay, where, where might I be facing some things this day that is going to tempt me? that's going to cause me or pull me to come off course. And you're, you're praying about those times. And what you're doing is, is asking God to help you, kind of create a little bit of a battle plan. Lord, this is going to come up. I'm going to face this situation. And in that time, Lord, what do I do? How do I respond to this? How do I trust in you? How do I follow you? And what you're doing, again, is creating a battle plan. If you were thinking of an army, no army no commander would go into a fight without having some sort of a plan. <laughs> they're not just going to walk into a battle. What they're doing is thinking ahead. What might come? What might happen? And what this prayer is is say, God, you know what? These things are going to come my way. 
and, 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 and I want to follow you. Would you lead me? Would you help me through this? And you're creating a plan to walk through your day fixing your eyes on him. And so what do you face in your temptation? Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe you face pride or lust or materialism or anger. The list goes on. What are those temptations that face you in the day? And you're going to take time each day to run to him and seek his direction and leading through or around that time. This morning, we've come to this passage and we've echoed the disciples' words, Lord, teach us to pray. And then Jesus has given us this model, this structure of prayer. And it's this Lord, or sorry, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. In a, uh, in a moment, the band's going to come, and I'm going to lead us actually praying through that together. We're going to practice it. But my challenge, first of all, is this. My challenge is this. Would this week, would you try this out? Would you take time this week to actually pray through it? Use this as your guide for your prayer times. And, and I'm, my prayer, my hope is that as you do that, you will just experience some breath of fresh air in your prayer time that you'll have purpose and meaning and substance and that God would use that in your life as you seek to honor and to serve him. So let me pray. The band's going to come. Let me pray, and then we'll sing a song together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the teaching that we have here, that, that you have preserved this for us. And Lord, we come before you. We confess, I confess, that uh, I'm dissatisfied at times with my prayer life. God, that I want those meaningful times of prayer where I can rely on you, where I can fix my eyes on you, where I can seek your work in and through me. And Lord, would you guide us even this week that we would take time to set aside to be with you. And God, would this structure enable us and help us to engage with you, to fix our eyes on you, and to see you work in and through us. And this is not for our own honor or glory, but for your honor and glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.